Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes. Please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because uh, it makes me happy. gives me a reason to wake up tomorrow. Thanks to friend of the show and CEO of Equanimity Interventions, this week we have Robin on the show. And by the CEO of Equanimity Interventions, I'm talking about our friend Vicki. She's been on Radio Rehab a lot and she's given us a lot of good guests. And she introduced me to this woman named Robin, who I am so excited to have on Radio Rehab this week. And uh, this first episode, we're going to get to know her. And of course, you can binge the rest of the episodes because we're going to release them right away. Let's get to know Robin. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Robin, welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm totally psyched to have you here. Thank you, Dana. And let's, as usual, thank Vicky for bringing us together. <laughs> Thanks, I, Uncle Vicky. I know I've been giving Uncle Vicky so many props on my show lately because she's just, I've met so many gyms through her, like in the past month. I mean, I've known her for like forever, but in the past month, like I've just tons of people all through Vicky. She seems and, to be a, a collector of good humans. I really think she is. I mean, yeah. We're, I'm not going to say a collector of pretty women because, you know, I'm not going to say that, but it's true because she is, <laughs> dude. I mean, she's like, look, she's like, oh, this is my friend. So, like, she's got so many, you know, girls that are her best friends and everybody's. Oh, all. this is my friend so and so. And this is my friend so and so. Vicky, why are all of these women blonde? You nope, no, no, no. There's know. a redhead in there. There's a redhead in there, too. There's a couple. No, well, Vicky. see, I'm a little offended. Like, I've known her for almost 20 years, and it used to be, like, brunettes. But, yeah, recently when she was like, oh, like, let me show you Robin, I was like, oh, okay, you like a blonde. And then I, Wait. I saw a bunch of other, and then she likes blondes. I think she's just Apparently. changed her tune. And I she's bet- just trying, this is just something new. This is a phase. And I know one thing she fucking loves is that I'm talked about her on the show this much and that we've spent this much of the show talking about Vicky. I know she loves it, but she deserves it because she, you know, she does. She's a good human. She's a good human and she does really good work for people that need it. She absolutely does. And she, yeah, like I said, she saved my life and it was so cool to watch her work, but we'll get into that whole thing another time. Uh, Let's start with your story, Robin. Let's, let's hear, let's hear your deal. How'd you get clean? Oof. Well, I okay. mean, and also, how'd you get loaded? You know, all of it. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. So, um, my name is Robin, and I'm an addict. And, hi, Robin. Uh, hi, I thank you. you. <laughs> I know. So, I hail from uh, Southern California, born and raised down in San Diego, and uh, come from middle class, good family. Mom's a teacher, dad's a marine biologist. Um, my finding my way to the rooms, uh, happened really young for me. Um, I think that uh, 
while my family was pretty neat and orderly from the outside, it was always strange to me as a kid when I would go to my friends' houses and uh, I'd stay for sleepovers and their parents didn't have the Frisbee full of weed under the coffee table with the roach clips and the zigzags. I was like, how come your parents don't have the Frisbee too? No. Um, yeah. So um, I always thought that that was a little bit different. And I always, you know, I'd be a kid, you know, at home, seven or eight years old, running around the house, looking for my mom. And I can imagine now as an adult and thinking about being a parent, raising kids and just wanting to have a few minutes to yourself and hide from your children. Uh, but I'd be like screaming for my mom, looking for her, and I could never find her. And then I'd find her in the backyard in her terry cloth bathrobe, smoking jays, and saying, she'd say, I'm looking for the cats. It was always that she was looking for the cats. And that's why I couldn't find her. But really, I think she just needed a minute. Yeah. So uh, early How on, many kids were my, there? Just me and my brother. Okay. okay. Just two, okay. you know. Right. But uh, my mom is kind of one of us as well. Um so she's kind of been in and out. I had the opportunity to put my mom in treatment. Uh, she needed some help and we did that deal and she stayed sober for a little while, but never really worked a program because I don't really think that was ever the issue for her. I think it was more mental health stuff. Mm. Um, so I always knew my family was a little bit different. And when I found drugs, I started at like 14 or 15 stealing my parents' weed, started there. And uh, it escalated really, really quickly. And I dropped out of high school by the time I was 16 I was court ordered to a juvenile treatment center by the time I was 17 because it was just bad luck and misunderstandings. Because when you look like this, you explain your way out of a lot of things and you I'll can bet. talk your way out of a lot of problems. And let me just call my mom and dad. My mom's a teacher. She's going to come and pick me up. No big deal. I don't even know how I ended up here. Until they I love you for acknowledging drug... that. Yeah. Until like, they hit you with seriously. a drug test. Yeah. <laughs> And then they're like, cool, you said that you only smoked weed, but you're positive for like cocaine, amphetamines, THC, uh, PCP, and what's going on here? This doesn't match up. And then the jig is up. Right. So I got away for a lot of years on just coming from a good family, being able to speak clearly and articulate and elaborate stories and manipulation uh, un until it didn't work anymore. So, um, you know, 16 started using 17, uh, I'd moved out of my parents' house. They were going through a divorce. Finally, they probably should have never, I hope my parents never listened to this. I love them dearly. Uh, but they we'll probably never, <laughs> perfect. They probably never should have gotten married in the first place. Mm. Um, but my mom got pregnant and my dad being the guy from the Midwest did the thing that he thought was right. And so they stayed married for like 18 years. Um, and so when I was 16 and I started really getting into my addiction was when they started the divorce and separation process, which was perfect for me. Cause you guys are really distracted over here doing this and I'm just going to really go off the rails over here. Right. And, um, so by the time I was 19, I had a boyfriend that was 39 and we were in love and meth was all the rage and I had everything figured out and this was going to be great. Right. And uh, he was a career criminal and uh, had some prison priors and a um, he was very fond of burgling things. <laughs> so 
as a young 19 year old impressionable uh really enjoying not sleeping at all and needing the things to stay awake for weeks on end uh we're just gonna whatever you want to do this is what we're gonna do so um january of 2005 uh it all catches up and the police had been looking for us for some time and i got arrested at a hotel because we had used it was real really bad winter that winter we had like el nino rains and this place that we'd been okay here's how methy it gets this place that we'd been staying at we'd stolen a bunch of motor homes and it was out in fallbrook and the we were staying on this property it was like five acres and we had parked these motor homes on the property but it was like a dirt road to get up to it and it was so rainy we couldn't get up the dirt road because it was too muddy and crazy so we couldn't get to our methy trailers oh my god so we rented and a hotel Brooke. room. Yes. Yeah, so so we rented a <laughs> hotel room with a stolen credit card. So me and my pit bull and my boyfriend could sleep somewhere. It's really good. This is really classy. And uh, I don't know how long I had I been it. up. And I think we were coming from the casino. And uh, yeah. So, I love it. Mm-hmm, yep. So the police show up because my dog, she was in heat. And they oh. found they found blood in the hotel room. The uh, maids did, and they thought something had happened. And then they were starting to investigate a little bit, and they realized the credit card that had been used was stolen. Oh, and so, like, 16 squad cars show up, and they take me into custody. And uh, there was, like, you know, documents, uh, stolen property in the hotel room. I was in a stolen vehicle, and... We were in separate cars and he showed up to the hotel after I was already getting arrested and the cops were there and he took off in high speed pursuit and the whole nine. And here's, here's the end of the story is, uh, so from 16 to 19, I was a mess and my parents did what they thought was right. And they probably enabled me for a long time and kept me from finding my bottom sooner than I would have if they hadn't hired attorneys, if they hadn't gotten my car out of, uh, impound, if they, hadn't you know shown up for me all these times they thought they were doing the right thing but it kept me out there longer than i probably needed to be so when all of that was up there was no more money for attorneys and i really hit big on this last one and uh this was like my first adult arrest uh really and so in that case i got arraigned for 23 felony counts and i was looking at doing eight years in prison uh and so in the beginning it was, it was, uh, using was fun and then it was fun with problems and then it was just problems mm. and my life was incredibly unmanageable. And I work a program of narcotics anonymous and NNA, the, the basic text. We talk about two types of unmanageability. You've got inward unmanageability and outward unmanageability. Inward unmanageability is the inability to have relationships, lack of self-esteem, um, and just feeling like a piece of shit most of the time. And then you've got outward unmanageability, inability to hold a job, arrest. Uh, all of those hallmarks, I had it all. I had it all at a ripe 19. And uh, so I got to go to jail and I got to experience some consequences that looking like this always got me out of. Right. How'd that, how so, that work in jail? How uh, did that look so work well. in jail? Not did it? so well. Oh, not well, so well. I thought okay. you said it worked well, a while. I was like, wow. It did. It did. It was okay. Um, because the other thing is I'm just really sassy. Yeah. And uh, while I may look like this, I take no shit. 
So um, it was a mixed bag. And jail, you know, jail was actually okay. I got my hair braided because they wanted to braid my white girl hair. Fun. And and my, and you know, my dad. Way, I'm looking at you right now. I know it's on Zoom, but yes, I know you quote unquote look like that, but I can see sass. Oh, like yeah. I see all sorts of sass. Like it's it's like pretty, but major attitude. I can totally oh, yeah. see that. Oh yeah, it's so they wonder. So so you got a hair. You got your hair braided and all. Mm-hmm. I'm only thinking of orange is the new black right now. <laughs> I'm picturing yes, like Liver exactly. and Cox doing your hair. That's exactly what it was. So you know, jail was good for me. Um, the end of that was I had a court case that went on for a year. My introduction mm-hmm. to the fellowship. I got taken to meetings when I was a teenager in that adolescent program, but I never took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And finally, my life was exploding in a fantastical way. And I had found that bottom really, really quickly. And I, my life was completely unmanageable. I was completely powerless over everything. And I thought I was going to prison for a really long time. And I got real serious. I went to a a treatment center uh, and the best thing they did for me was take me to meetings. And I got a sponsor and I was, I turned 20 in treatment. I didn't really want to be clean, but I knew I didn't want to go to prison either. And I knew that that was exactly where I was headed. So I spent a year fighting, not really fighting my case, just waiting and Mm -hmm. going to meetings and trying to get my feet under me. And uh, so got a sponsor, worked the steps, started sponsoring other women, picked up commitments at meetings. Um, A month before my sentencing, it took me 14 months to finally wrap all that up and to get to go to jail in recovery. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) Yay. Um, A month before that, I relapsed. I uh, smoked two hits of weed and it was awful. And, <sighs> and I think the thought was I'm 20, I turned 21 sober. Uh, I w- went to the casino and I got a tattoo because what do we have left, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, and I probably drank a lot of energy drinks. Uh, and I knew I was going to jail. I didn't know for how long. And I thought, you know, um, maybe I can just smoke weed. Maybe if I just don't do the hard stuff. Uh, And it was awful. And I was instantly paranoid. The cops are coming. I'm going to jail. My friends were looking at me like, you're a weirdo. Um, And it was was no more fun. And I knew that, you know, using was ruined for me because I had a head full of recovery. Mm -hmm. And I went full shame spiral. I relapsed. I can't believe this. Blah, blah, blah. And so I, I came back to like take it I, to the nines or did you just, did you leave it there or, it or were you just, like, well, since I was, relapsed, I might as well. Nope. No, that good. was it. Cool. Yeah. Wow. I stopped right there. Yeah. It was literally like a two hour relapse and it was so embarrassing. Like that was it. Right. So, um, came back the next day, took newcomer chips and, uh, I have been clean since April 10th of 2006. That is Mazel my clean date. Thank you. Wow. So, wait, but real quick, how much time did you have before before that that two hour relapse? Fourteen months. Fourteen months. Okay. Fourteen okay. months. Yep. Wow. So, um, and then fast forward. So April tenth, April 9th, I relapse. April tenth is my new clean date. May sixteenth, I get sentenced and I go to jail. Uh, yay. So you have almost cool. 30 days. You have around 30 or no, a little bit over 30 days and you're going to jail. I'm going to jail. All right. Yeah. So I end up, uh, the probation department, when they made the recommendations for me, they recommended eight years in prison and, uh, the district attorney and the judge 
and my public defender all had different ideas because I had done, uh, you know, throughout that 14 months, I had shown up to court every single time I was in treatment for most of it. And uh, I was really, I'm the poster child of rehabilitation. If you talk about like, you know, giving someone a chance and giving them just enough rope to hang themselves, like I did everything that I said that I would. I said I would be a net gain to society. I said I would help others that struggled like I did. Uh, everything I have done for the last 14 years has been about how do I rehabilitate myself and how do I give back? Um, so there was this woman who we'd stolen her car and I glued my picture to her driver's license and I start write, started writing checks with her bank banking stuff. And she showed up to every single court date. And uh, there was this other man, we had broken into his home and he was asleep in his bed and we stole his vehicles from his house and some other stuff. And uh, from the time of the burglary, he and court, he had had like multiple heart attacks and he got up to talk about how stressful it had been and that he requested the full weight of punishment for me. And then this other woman who, who's driver's license I glued my picture to she got up when the judge asked if anyone wanted to address the court and I swear there are moments where I can see God working in my life and this was one of those moments where I got grace and where it it couldn't be explained any other way than a spiritual experience because she got up and she stood in front of the judge and she said uh that she had shown up to every single court date and she had seen a transformation in in me and he uh needed to give me a chance because I was young and if he were to send me to prison, it would change me forever. Wow. And everyone in the courtroom was crying. Yeah. I had my sponsor show up, people from the treatment center. This whole, My parents are crying. I'm crying. And uh, the judge said, well, I can't let you walk out of here, but you got to jail and you got to have consequences because you don't just get to get off free. Hmm. And so... Uh, at 21 years old, I got two strikes and I got to go to jail. I got to go to jail for a year of which I did six months. And uh, then I got to, I get to pay restitution. And my restitution amount started at $288,000. And I pay $220 a month and I'll be paid off when I'm 111. Oh my God. Okay, so that's still happening? Every month. Wow. wow. And Thank look God at it doesn't you accrue being, interest. You're totally not resentful about it. And that and that's another thing I love about everything you say and the way you talk is I get to. I get to pay get restitution. To. I got get to go to, to jail. Because you could have gotten yep. to go to prison. Yep. You, you could have done a lot of other things, but I hear the gratitude with, with what H and I to you. H and I was alive and well in the uh, institution I was in, in the jail I was in. And there's this woman, her name is Kim M. And she carried a panel at that jail. And I see her to this day. I see her at women's conventions. She sponsors a friend of mine that was my cellmate when I was in jail. And uh, she's got long-term recovery. And thank God for Narcotics Anonymous and H and I, because I got to go to a meeting every week. My sponsor, I had a sponsor. She drove two hours each way to work steps through the glass with me. I had a lot of support because I'd done the footwork and I had a foundation of recovery. That's everything. Like how, how, where, where, I mean, you don't have to say the exact name of, of what jail, but like what part was it? In, it was San Las Diego Colinas. or? Okay. It was Las Colinas. Okay. 
no penis Kalinas. Right. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if they have a rhyme for Sybil Brand in L.A. like that. I don't think so. No, I don't think so, but they need one. No man Sybil Brand. No, that would be yeah. good. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So it was, yeah, down in uh, uh, Santee in East County, San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a treatment center in uh, Ramona, California, which is somewhere around there. It's by Escondido and Poway and, and all those places. But Pomero. It's yes. called Pomero Lodge. And I think it stood for Pete, Mary Joyce, and Ron. And they all came from Scripps in San Diego. And then they started their own treatment center, you know, for like $5 million a month. It's uh-huh. <clears throat> just like what you were saying about your parents, about the way they couldn't like my dad's one of us. And he got clean and sober when I was 10 and a half, and he could not stand to watch what I was doing. Neither could my mom. So instead of Al-Anon, they kept throwing me in treatment. You know, they kept throwing that security blanket, and they kept throwing a mattress under me. So I never really hit bottom until I finally did. And when I did, you know, I've been in 15 treatment centers. And, like, when I did get it, it was the steps. Yep. And that was the best thing that that treatment center did for me was they took the meetings. Absolutely. You know, you get in the van and you go to a meeting. Oh, yeah. The short bus. I I was always like, and I mean, so many of the girls were always like, you know, fresh out of jail and hadn't seen a man in a while. And the smell of perfume. And makeup. Let me do my makeup for the meeting. So for me, it was. Aileen Warno's hair. Yes. (laughs) For me, it was Dickie's Converse and a hooded sweatshirt and don't fucking talk to me. Still. Yes. I'm, yes, I literally. I'm not wearing dickies, but yes, still to this day. But I know I that's would. how I dressed in high school. Yeah, yeah. And and give always. me a wife beater. Give me a wife beater, and we're good. Absolutely. I wonder if that's yeah. a Southern California thing or just a, I don't want to be touched. I just want my drugs thing. Uh, either, either, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and thanks so much to Robin L for being on the show this week. Stick around for the next episode when we find out how she stays sober, and what sponsees have to do to keep her clean. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us. The email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's go-toproductions.com. You can also call or text 415-496-9511 even when we're not in studio And on all the socials, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, D-A-Y-N-A. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back.